Kia ora. Welcome to SpecFic NZ podcast, where we bring you the authors that aren't afraid to ask what if. I'm Matt Danaher, and I mostly write unpublished short stories. I'm Kira Carpenter. I'm a Dunedin fantasy author. My debut novel, The Kingfisher's Debt, has come, just come out recently. And I'm Nick Switika, and I have nine novels that are indie published at the moment. Tonight on the SpecFic NZ podcast, we are joined by Gisborne-based writer Aaron Compton. Aaron is a writer of fiction and poetry. He has had his fiction published in Te Kororo Ahiha and The Westerly, and is working on more. His current work in progress is Songbirds of Zealandia, a biopunk transhuman series of novellas. Episode one will be published later in 2019. He's worked in various parts of the cultural sector, including many years as an educator in Taira Fiti Museum and Te Papa Tongarira. Uh, Aaron also worked in theatre galleries and has had some memorable times as an artist assistant. As a child, his parents owned a huge old antique second-hand shop in Masterton, and he began learning his valuable retail skills there. Many of these experiences will feature in future publications. His degree in digital filmmaking never gets used. It was the screenwriting aspect which interested him, and hopefully we'll talk a bit about that. His teaching qualifications haven't been dusted off for a while either. Aaron lives with his family in New Zealand. Okay, Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Kia ora, thank you. That sounds accurate. Good. Um, so you didn't notice what I slipped in there then? Uh, no. You can go back go back and research it later. <laughs> That's some homework for you. Okay. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, now I'm puzzled. Um, so, Aaron, um, our first question for you today is, um, now, one of the reasons we really wanted to speak to you was because you were involved in editing Te Korora Uahika, also with, uh, edited by Lee Murray and Grace Bridges, um, and you were there very much as a kind of new writer, a new editor, and someone who was being ment- mentored. So, um, what was being a mentee like? Um, how did you manage to get into doing that? And um, what kind of benefits has it brought you? Uh, okay. Um, what was it like? It was it was a really cool educational experience for me. Um, I'd you know I've, I've always been really keen on writing, but I've never done a whole lot of editing. Um, so working with with Lee and Grace was a real eye opener to me. Actually, um, just the amount of stuff that you had to read, and um, and then when it came time for the, them to edit my story and give feedback on that. That was, that was just awesome because, you know, it just showed me that just these relatively little things that you could do to tweak and change a story made such a big difference to, to the outcome. It was great. As for how I got into it, um, so I, I, um, I became a member of the SpecFic NZ uh, Society and saw the, the advertisement for for this position that was coming out, or for the, for the anthology, Tokoro Ahika, and um, I kind of made a mental note to submit a story, and they were all also asking for uh, for a, for an editor, for a mentee editor, for a trainee editor, and so I um, applied for the editor position, and completely forgot about um, to submit my story because ADHD, and um, and then then I probably forgot all about it. And a few weeks later, I got contacted by Paul saying, would you like to do this thing? 
and I just started doing, I think it was November, I just started doing NaNoWriMo and I was like real amped about NaNoWriMo. I was yeah, yeah, I'm going to write this 50,000 words. And then Paul said, do you want to do this editing thing? And I'm like, oh, NaNoWriMo, editing, editing, NaNoWriMo, editing. So I had to give up NaNoWriMo and um, uh, yeah, and so yeah, I was keen. What was the third question? What were the benefits that have come out of it? Benefits, I think the benefits, well, like I said, like when, um, uh, when, when Lee and Grace edited my story that eventually did get in there, um, just seeing that process, seeing that, seeing that process being worked on something that I'd worked on for, for, for a while uh, was a real big benefit, but also just making the connections with Lee and Grace and all the other people in Specfic NZ as well. That was, that was huge. Um, I haven't done any editing since then, and I feel a little bit bad about that actually, but I'm, I'm keen to give it another go sometime. But yeah, so was, can you can you elaborate? Um, what was the process for editing? Perhaps you can um, tell us like, yeah, how yeah. you approached it. Yeah, that was interesting. So um, it was very much a, a democratic process. We started off by reading all of the stories that were submitted, and um, we had a we had a, a spreadsheet with um, each of the stories. And beside, beside each of the stories, titles, we had um, columns like um, yes, no, and then favourite, uh, and then a column for any comments that we wanted to make. And so the favourites, you know, we could pick two or three favourites that we thought should definitely go in. And then the stories that got, you know, at least two yeses, they, um, they went through to, to, to the collection. One of the really interesting things, sorry, this is slightly tangential, slightly an aside, um, Grace added another column, which was titled Ends in Death, I think it was. And it okay. really, really surprised me that the vast majority of all of these stories ended in somebody being killed. Uh, ah. and there were very, very few that didn't end with death. I'm not sure. Oh, that's really interesting that she spotted that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really interesting. And I was, I was very pleased that mine did not. Mine was basically a, yeah. a, a little love story. So it ended with two right. people being together. So, so yeah. I'm, a, I'm assuming, based on that coincidence, obviously that meant that you would probably have to cull some of those stories just so that it wasn't oversaturated with that particular ending. Is that, is that um, correct? Yeah, I'm not, not sure if it went that way just because there were so many... <laughs> Just okay. vast, yeah. vast majority ended in death. Yeah. Just a little coincidence. That's very, that's very interesting to me because I do remember doing a writing course where the, the, instru- the instructor, who wasn't a short story writer himself, he was actually a novelist, um, and I was more interested in the short story side of things, but I do remember him saying that one of the problems with short stories is um, if you don't know how to end them, you kill someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It always... It always kind of annoys me in movies when the baddie gets killed. Like, you know, they end up shooting the bad guy and it just seems so unfair. It's like, no, that's like an escape from his punishment. He should live and be punished. Yeah. 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 Um, it sounds to me like you guys all read the stories and did the work on it. Because I, yeah, I was assuming perhaps if there were heaps, you might have divided the stories up. And um, who had the ultimate say over what happened? Or did it just sort of, work out by happenstance that you kind of agreed on what should go in or how things should be edited perhaps i'm not sure who had the ultimate say as far as i remember it was kind yeah. of a democratic thing i think they had to get at least two two yes votes right yeah that yeah. Makes sense. 
and then I think Lee did uh, Lee Lee Murray did the first uh, pass of editing, and then she passed it on to me, and I went over it, and then um, uh, and then yeah. it went to Grace Bridges, who yeah. did. I think she did the like the final proofreading and just the yes. continuity and stuff. Yeah, that sounds really thorough. Yeah, yeah, it was. I see that you're setting up to release your own novellas. Now, have you ever thought about writing anything longer? And uh, what has been the process so far of actually like the marketing and getting all your stuff out there? Uh, I have thought about writing longer stuff. Like when I first started taking writing seriously about three or four years ago, maybe um, the intention was to write a series of science fiction novels and I had them all planned out. Um, uh, when I kind of gave up on that little series for the meantime, I'd started reading about the whole 20 books to 50 K thing. Yep. Love those people. Few, <laughs> yeah. And I'd read a few different things about how, because of the whole ebook revolution, you know, um, people were reading more shorter stories yep. um, that publishers wouldn't, wouldn't invest in publishing uh, beforehand. And so I thought about stories that were shorter that could make a, a longer series. And so, yeah, that's kind of what I'm trying to do. The, the, the plan is to write a whole so, lot of novels and then rapid release them once they're edited professionally and all that stuff. Yeah, so that'll help with the marketing. So kind of what uh, number do your books end up being in lengthwise? Uh, the plan is that it's uh, a five-part series, but knowing me, it'll probably be six or seven. <laughs> you can have a, a prequel and a sequel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. With yeah. the Star Wars. <laughs> now, Matt, you had a question about uh, websites? Yeah, well, I think that follows on quite nicely, actually. So one of the things I've noticed about you, Aaron, although, although we did struggle to find your website uh, tonight, um, so you might want to work on your search engine optimization stuff. Yep. Um, you, you've launched a website already. Um, you've kind of been quite prolific on Facebook and Twitter in, as far as being a, a writer's concerned. And um, also you've been in the local paper and, and stuff like that. And um, it feels like you're building up kind of web presence, but it's before you've published most of your stuff. In fact, you're at kind of a similar level of um, published output as I am. So this is why I'm interested in it. Um, All right. But are you are you finding that um, many people are signing up to your newsletter, um, following your website, contacting you as a result of it, given that you've got a fairly lowish level of, of product out there? Yeah. Um, I haven't found that a whole lot of people signed up yet, but to be honest, I haven't pushed it real hard mm. um, as part of the 20 books to 50K thing and as part of other schemes, you know, that I've been reading about and, and listening to podcasts about. So many people say, you know, you need to start marketing before you've even published the book. Yep. So, so I thought, well, okay, I'll set up a website, um, get a cool URL, uh, compton.inc, by the way, uh, and, um, yeah, get that started as kind of the, what do they say, the minimum viable product. Yep. Get that website set up, even if it's pretty crappy, which it is at the moment. I don't, to be honest, I haven't even worked out how to do the auto-reply yet, and, um, so if you have signed up to it, you're probably wondering why you haven't heard from me. Um, so I, I set that up. And uh, to be honest, you know, the, the, the conference that just happened recently was part of the motivation. I was like, all oh, these authors have got these websites that are awesome. I need to set up the website before this conference starts. And then I can you know, 
put Compton.inc on a, on a business card and hand them out. Never ended up actually doing that, by the way. But it, that was Is part that, of um, GeyserCon you were referring to? Yeah, GeyserCon. GeyserCon yeah. conference. Yes, yeah. were. So are you using MailChimp or one of those ones, or are you using something that's built into your website? Uh, I'm using um, Wix, and they've yep. got uh, they've got a built-in yeah built-in yeah they make some very pretty uh, newsletters with those. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I and like I said, you know, I haven't really started to get into it yet, so I haven't made the most of it. Yeah, I do Wix. So if you get stuck, you can call me. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Thanks, for right. that. I'm a WordPress um, man myself. WordPress. Yeah, right. same. Yeah, WordPress. <laughs> I didn't like to say yeah. anything. Eric, <laughs> going um, and looking at your your writing process, um, you've mentioned to us that you have ADHD. So I was wondering, yeah. when you've got something like that, have you come up with any unique coping strategies for yourself that help you focus so you actually get the writing done and make you productive? Uh, yes. Um, t- um, so I was I was diagnosed only a few years ago, diagnosed as an adult, and yeah. it was, you know, as I think this is a fairly common story. You know, um, your child gets diagnosed, and while the therapist's listing the um, the symptoms, I'm counting them off on my fingers, going, "Oh my god, this oh, is my whole stupid yeah. life." Uh, and so it was a bit of a revelation to me. Explained so much, and um, so one of the first things. To be honest, was a little bit of therapy and a little bit of medication. Medication helps, but but also um, I think I'm, I guess I'm kind of lucky because you know ADHD isn't just about not being able to focus. It's about no. hyper focusing on a couple of things, and I'm yeah. I think I'm fortunate that my hyper focus hyper focus the thing that really obsesses me that I can spend hours and hours on is reading and writing. So I was already kind of doing that, and then when I started um, taking just a real low dose of medication. I found that I was writing a lot faster and a lot more coherently. Um, yeah. coherently. Uh, but also there's other things that I'm doing. Um, you know, medication's not the, the total solution. You gotta work out how to manage it. Yes. Um, and you know, it, it's, a, it's a blessing in some ways, you know, cause you've got the hyper focus on the things that you're really interested in. I think um, uh, you make connections between disparate things that other people might not see the connections between and I think that's you yeah. know how they say there's no um there's no new ideas under the sun but there's just new I new ways of putting old ideas together and I think that's maybe oh. what ADHD is really good for can you give also, us an example and you and you that you've a connection that you've come up with within your writing sorry to put you on the spot there okay so so the the songbirds of Zealandia thing the seeds of the idea for that started when I was getting uh, really ho-ha, really angry seeing uh, some of these old racist dudes coming out of the woodwork and saying, oh, you know, the Spanish were here before the Maori or the Vikings <laughs> were here. And the way they're talking about it, it's as if if Europeans were here before Polynesians, that means that the treaty is null and void. And it's like, no, that's, mm. that's not, even if it was true, that's not how this works. No. Um, and so I started thinking, well, you know, the birds were here first. So yes. what if we could, you know, I'm, I'm a rangitani man, I'm a, a white rangitani man from the, from the head of the fish. And so I've got, you know, some, I've got this connection that I feel to, to the land, but what if we could engineer uh, tui genes into ourselves and have, uh, you know, that kind of DNA, then we'd have the ultimate claim, you know, we could say, oh, screw the Vikings. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I like that. Yes, man. And, and then that led to um, 
you know, my interest in music. Uh, and then there's Tui's. I'm thinking, you know, Tui's have got these, these um, we've got this one larynx that gives us one voice, but Tui's have got these two uh, syrinx that uh, let them have two voices so they can harmonize with themselves. And I started thinking, oh, if we could engineer those genes into ourselves, we could sing all these amazing melodies that we'd never even thought of before in harmonies. And, um, and then that led <laughs> to uh, uh, Zealandia. And um, uh, long story short, you know, the, the story is basically about a, a cult of genetically engineered bird people who, who forcibly take over Zealandia at some point in the future. Yeah, and I, I guess everybody does this, but um, yeah, putting little pieces of the puzzle together, it's just a, a fascination, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Just um, must be quite helpful. Sorry, you go, Matt. No, no, you carry on. Oh, well, I was just going to say with the HDA, um, HD, uh, sorry, ADHD <laughs> diagnosis, it must be quite helpful because if you get a diagnosis like that, you can say, right, this is what it is. That helps me understand myself so I can go um, better in the future, having that mm. understanding. Yep, and uh, yep, and, and yeah, it helps me. Part of that is, um, you know, being able to get the help that, that yes, I've never had yep, before. Completely. But then on the other hand, you know, there's, there was a little period when I was mourning for, for this child that didn't have this help back in the 70s and yeah, yeah, there and wasted time. But yeah, so now I'm, I'm trying to make, make the most of the time that I've got. Just to, um, just to come back to the, uh, the kind of alternate history um, side of things there, because I'm fascinated by these um, racists that are convinced that Welsh people who are noted for you know, developing a coracle, which is a tiny round bit of wood yeah. with some animal skin stretched over it that can barely yeah. go across a pond, which is kind of the height of their navigatory kind of expertise in the time of history, the time of history that we're talking about, were able to make it to New Zealand um, before <laughs> the world's greatest navigators and builders of, of waka. Um, it's just fascinating. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I don't think Loctic comes into it very much. No, no. And, and these people haven't heard of Occam's Razor or anything like that. But it does, really? does I love reading them because it does lead you down all these um, amazing rabbit holes. And um, something I've often wondered about as well, especially driving my parents on a, on a driving tour of the West Coast last year and um, just driving there and imagining that hast eagles flying overhead, um, what it must have been like, and imagining seeing sort of mower, uh, you know, herd along the, um, the plains and just wishing that they were still there. Now, in your, um, your contribution to um, Ahikar, um, which is one of my favourite, I have to say, um, awesome. you have you. you have giant mower um, and that I kind of assumed reading it that it was like the future and they were genetically engineered um, and that you know one day we'll better bring them back just like Jurassic Park um, but actually um, what you were saying to us uh, before we started recording is um, no actually this is a alternate history story so I'd love to hear a bit more about that <laughs> okay yeah there's nothing in the story that um, highlights this, but um, actually that's set around the 1950s, um, but it's a, a 1950s that our, our grandparents would never have imagined. How rude can I get? Is this a PG show? Um, uh, it's fine. We had a really bad swear word in the last show we recorded. So, uh, Three or four years ago, when I first started taking the writing seriously, 
there was a very, very brief little moment of time there when I, I was looking, I was thinking, I just need to make some money. I need to make some money. So how can I make some money out of writing? And I watched a webinar about um, cryptozoological erotica, which is basically Yeti yeah. porn. I think people were making money from that. And the, the presenter, you know, said, you don't even need to be a very good writer, you know, just bash these crappy stories out. And, um, uh, and, and, and they you look know. like people who like a more aggressive, are they called a, a plushie or a, a Furby or something, is it? Yeah, very. Yeah, yeah. Very. Something like that. <laughs> and so I started thinking, how, what, you know, what stories can I write? And wanted to have something based in New Zealand. And I was looking at kind of steampunk era stuff. And I started thinking about, um, if you heard the term Tilly, Tilly Dildonics, this is where it gets rude. Yeah. But you might want <laughs> to explain like, it for the benefit of... <laughs> do you want me else. to explain it? Uh, I'm sure you can... Uh, well, Tilly yeah, Tilly, like, at a distance, and, and dildos. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, but, so for that, to, for that to work, you know, in a steampunk, I had to think about how would... Um, how, how would you, you'd need an internet of some sort for, to make it work. So how, I started thinking about how would you have an internet during the steampunk era? And this is another thing of, you know, putting all these disparate pieces together. One thing led to another and it became a story about, I, I, by the way, I quickly gave up on the cryptozoological erotica. It became a story. Uh, <laughs> became a bit of a, right there. <laughs> I know, I know. And more opportunities I've missed out on. Um, yeah. It became a story about, you know how um, in Queen Victoria, um, when, when, when Albert died, she became a real recluse and withdrew yeah, yes. for herself mm. and didn't go out much. I started thinking, what if she went exactly the opposite way and she really got out there and got out into the world to try and distract her from her grief? And what if she did a tour of her empire? And what if she ended up in New Zealand? And then what if there was a tragic accident at, uh, uh, at a rope factory, you know, with all the, the flax works? And she was decapitated, and so long story short, because of this tunny fire that was here, Queen Victoria became this kind of immortal brain in a jar. And so from <laughs> there, she took over the rest of the world in my own, you know, fevered imaginings. Yes. And this is a long answer to your question. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's great. It's a great answer. Once she got to the 1950s, uh, she had pretty much taken over most of the world. And the story that I really wanted to write was about one of her ancestors um, who became the main character of the story in the 1950s and, um, and, and, and ends up basically becoming a god. Kind of, yeah, it's a long story. I'm going to have to write it now so that you can read it so you know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> I really like the bit about um, Queen Victoria becoming a brain in a jar ruling the world. I think I'd read that. There's yeah, like okay. Futurama. <laughs> yeah, well, there's there's an entire. It's interesting because there is an entire subtrope. I I don't know if subtropes are the correct term to use, or even a term that exists. But I've just created it, maybe. It does now. Um, but uh, there's an entire subtrope. I'm going to stick with it of um, steampunk influenced stories that have a surviving Queen Victoria in the right. era. Yeah. And sometimes it's because she's been zombified. Sometimes it's because she's actually some kind of uh, cyborg. Um, and other times it's because actually it's just the name they give to this giant lizard woman that actually um, an species that's taken over the world. Um, I'm, look, look, I'm thinking of Lavi Tid Tidhar here, who did a really good uh, trilogy. 
with that. I'm going to have to look it up. It's definitely um, a kind of, to me, a really kind of fascinating thing to see. And any reference, I'm a big fan of any reference of Queen Victoria surviving much. Mm. Right. Yeah, there's something really fascinating about her. And and then part of the reason I gave up on that story, well, there's a couple of reasons. One reason was that I I wrote about 60,000 words into this crazy story and then just really felt that I didn't have the skills yet to do it justice so I kind of pulled back but also I read Chris Fox's um you know writing to and I thought this story is just too damn weird no how the hell am I going to market I don't even know what genre it is how am I going to market it Nobody's it's historical fantasy historical yeah. fantasy right yeah it's, it's actually not too weird at all it's not too weird it's totally marketable. Okay, yeah, if, if you use a well-known character like Queen Victoria and people who so people who like historical, they think Queen Victoria, yes, that's my street. So I like um, fantasy, yes, no. I think you'd totally have an audience for it. Okay, I'm going to have to have a look at I think you'd probably more have an audience if you focused on Queen Victoria as the character rather than her descendant, if you see right. what I mean, because it's the yep. historical people, people interested in historicals that would go for that. I'd think, oh, what would ha- have happened if Queen Victoria became a, a brain in a jar? Whereas if you talk about an ancestor that never existed, there's no historical connection, if, that, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I'm going to think about that. But I can see why you fit into SpecFic, though. <laughs> you love your what-if questions. I love it. Yeah. Um, I, I think, actually, you could even just have, have her as a looming kind of presence that's occasionally revealed when you pull back the curtain a little bit. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I definitely agree that personally. I wouldn't use the ancestor myself that didn't exist. Can't see how that would work. Just in terms oh, of yeah, in terms of your marketing, if you were concerned about that, like what Chris Fox is saying about right to market, then the audience is definitely interested in historical fantasy. So that's which right. is why you would use a historical yes. character. Yes. Yes. The other the other market you've got there actually is there is really is a growing market for um, alternate history and parallel earth fiction. Yeah. I mean, there's always yeah. been. There's always been some out there, but it seems to me that, um, and kind of the most well-known writer is, is a US writer called Harry Turtledove, um, who's mm. a not to my liking, it has to be said. Um, but um, it's kind of massive, and that for years put me off that kind of um, genre. But actually, it's the kind of bleeding over of alternate history and parallel Earths into mainstream fiction and in TV and films as well. There's right. A- there's a there's a massive market of it for it, and I, I think it's um, you know it's and a lot of the stuff I write, a lot of the short stories I write are, are inspired by parallel earths or have some element of parallelism in them. Um, but see this, uh, you're talking about ADHD. Now you're talking about this. So it could be go. Oh, I'm I'm getting distracted from what I'm supposed to be working <laughs> on. Or the shiny thing. Oh, we all have that problem. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. True. Yeah, so, yeah, um, and I've, okay. just, I've just had a notification that we're, we're, we've got 10 minutes left. Now, just for the benefits of, of listeners as well, um, we normally share a Google Doc with our, our guests uh, in advance of recording. Um, and and the, the doc we shared with Aaron is the longest one I think we've had <laughs> by far, um, seven pages. And um, there's no way we can cover everything on it, which is a real shame. Um, but I think maybe, Aaron, I'd like to have a follow-up email with you that maybe we could turn it into a spec for Ken Z blog post. Because um, there's actually some really interesting stuff in there that you should share with a wider audience. 
that's a great cool. idea. Cool. Okay. Um, but um, just to come back into the uh, Bigfoot erotica, no, not really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so where can we find you, Aaron? Online and things like that. Where could the fans find you? Um, okay. Um, my uh, website. I personally, I think this is the the coolest URL I could have chosen. It's uh, Compton.inc. That's ink with a K. Compton.inc, like straight out of Compton. Dot ink. Yes. Uh, I've said it a few times now. I'll stop saying it. Um, <laughs> One more time. Aaron Compton. I'm on. Um, I'm on Twitter, which I don't use all that much, and uh, Instagram is the one I really like. Um, but I'm on Instagram and Twitter as Aaron Dot Compton. That's Aaron Dot Compton. Aaron Dot Compton. We will share all of those links on the show notes so that people can stalk you online. Um, and yeah, I would really strongly recommend people come and visit our website when we let you know that there's going to be um, an expanded blog post on there about about this episode. Um, and just uh, one last thing for your benefit, Aaron, don't worry, I will edit some of this stuff so that um, these, these kind of bits uh, <laughs> get taken out and it sounds a lot more professional at the end. Um, <laughs> I've had a long week and I was going to already, and it's only Wednesday, and I was going to ask another question very quickly. Um, and my mind's gone completely blank. What's about Hast Eagles? <laughs> No, no, I mean, I think, I'd love, I mean, we could go on about that for another, we could do another hour on, on that subject. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely. Um, yeah, and that's, I've yeah. got a question about the Yeti porn, if you want to think about your question, Matt. Yes, go on. <laughs> but we've only so got six minutes. Porn, with the Yeti porn, <laughs> this is important. Is it person on Yeti or Yeti on Yeti? Oh, well, do you know what? I have to admit, I've never... Oh, actually, I did read one story of Yeti porn, just, to, you know, one research, and that was as much as I could cope with was one story. <laughs> and it was, it was male human on female Yeti, and it was very bizarre. Oh, right. But, 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 you know, Yeti porn's like the shorthand. I think the, the technical term is cryptozoological erotica. Right. So it's like yeah, it's the same of, as the science fiction romance stuff. Yeah, so I was, my, my story alien. was... Um, my story oh, was okay. um, so that's um, kind of the old Captain Kirk and the um, green alien lady. Yeah, yes. mine were blue. <laughs> <laughs> mine were blue mine were kind of native fairy folk. It was not quite putty yeah. pie here because I didn't want to do too much down that ride. But um, you know, the thing about it was, I, I wrote a couple of stories and then gave it to my wife, and as she was reading them, I was just dying inside. I was just so embarrassed. And just, I, I'm not surprised. Not yeah, I'm surprised you were brave enough to do that. There's nothing, nothing against erotica and erotica writers, but yes. for, it turns out that I'm a prude. I gave it a go, was and it? then when my wife started reading it, I was like, "No, yeah. she's reading it." <laughs> and they do, but they do, the thing, right? they do learning experience. No, you go for it. I was just gonna say they do write under pseudonyms for a reason. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. I couldn't put my heart into the marketing of it, to be honest. That was no, no, yeah. No, you'd have to set up a whole new persona, online persona, all new accounts yeah. for everything. It would be uh, it would be crazy. I do I do know someone who 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 does um, ghostwriting actually for one of these people. So um, um, I don't know whether it's Chuck Tingle. He's like the most famous of the. Uh, oh, I love it. I've read one of his stories, and it's not my thing, but just his whole his whole thing is amazing. I love him. Yeah, I love his. I do love his acts. I've never read any of his stuff, and I'm never going to. But I like the fact <laughs> that he exists. But yeah, yeah, this woman I know, um, she she does do the writing for these people, but 
so they've got such a big brand that they have to churn out sort of number of books a month almost for two or three books yeah. a month so they can't possibly write them all themselves so once they get to a certain level yeah. they pay people to ghost write them for them and um, yeah. it's quite interesting because she's paid a very very low rate for doing it oh, oh, that's right. strange. Yeah, yeah so it's very um you know we're talking a couple of cents or you know a couple of cents a page or something it's um before before we um sign off i really don't want to finish on this note so i just want to say that <laughs> Fair enough. My Sorry. stuff is serious science fiction, damn it. It's not, it's not serious science fiction, but it's, it's probably soft science fiction, but it's, um, you know. Soft science be... fiction is serious science fiction. In fact, yeah, that, is, that, is another, that is another thing, because you've got this um, kind of division between hard science fiction and soft science fiction, and people seem to say that, oh, you know, hard science fiction is based on real science and things like that. But actually, soft science, soft science fiction is based on real kind of social issues and real kind of yeah, yeah. society and yeah. people's lives and things like yeah. that and it's it's fascinating for me as somebody who kind of who doesn't know a little bit about that kind of side of things when i read a hard yeah. science fiction book i tend not to be that keen on um right it's really interesting right. what they get wrong about how people live their lives and how society works yeah really glaring errors while at the same time be very realistic about how to grow potatoes on mars True, true, true. I guess my thing is um, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't have the patience to do all of that research, so it's not going to be hard science fiction, but I am kind of starting from facts that we already know and then extrapolating from them into the future. So I guess that's science yeah. fiction. Doing the what if. Mm. Yeah, the what if, that's it. Brilliant. Well, it's been really interesting talking to you, Aaron. Awesome, yeah. thank you. Appreciate you. Um, sharing your insights into the um, Speakbook anthology, but also talking about um, your diagnosis and the problems you've had and things like that. Um, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I'm, I'm wrapped to be here. It's been a lot of fun. Cool. Thanks, thanks, Aaron. Um, and thank, you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you.